0: This morning I'm going to be reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter 3, verses 1-12. through So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways that you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, Malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal there is no longer Greek or Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. you pray with me? Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If I ask you who you are, you're probably going to give me your name, right? Unless I've, like, just met your husband or your wife, and then you'll give me your name, and you'll say, I'm married to so-and-so, or I'm so-and-so's father, right? Sometimes you won't even give me the name. You'll just say, I'm her husband, I'm his, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, That's about all you'll get most of the time. Sometimes if I ask you to go further and describe yourself, I'll get a bit more information, Right? And if someone asks you to describe yourself, usually the first thing that comes to your mind is whatever part uh, of, of your personality you think is most important, right? When I was uh, like in middle school and high school, I, I thought of myself as the class clown, um, right? It was important to me to, to be funny all the time. My teachers did not think that was funny. But I, I, that was part of my identity, it was who I was. So if you'd asked me when I was a teenager or a preteen uh, to describe myself, the first thing I would tell you was, I'm a really funny guy. Right? People may have disagreed with that, but I thought that was true. Now that I'm a bit older, uh, and I try to not be a class clown as much, uh, I, I might say something different, but my answer honestly is going to depend on the day of the week a little bit, right? Some days, the first thing out of my mouth might be, well, I'm a pastor. Right? I, I preach on Sundays." Other days it might be that, you know, well, I'm a father to a little girl. Other days it might be, well, I watch a lot of soccer. Uh, some days, depending on how hard the day it's been, I, it might just be, well, I, re- I really like beer. <laughs> you know, That's what you need to know. Right? Whatever it is, though, it doesn't just depend on the day, does it? It also depends on who you're talking to because when you are answering that question, the information you give is really, it's the thing about yourself that you think you want them to know the most. You're communicating something that is going to hopefully give them the opinion of you that you want them to have. At best, it's a small piece of who you are. Your identity runs a lot deeper. If I were to ask you what your identity is, I would get probably a different answer from from most of you. But, but a lot of you might say, uh, in, in these days, right, you might say, well, I'm a, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. Because for a lot of us, that's become our identity, hasn't it? If we're really, really virtuous, we might say, I'm an American. Right? I rise above the politics, so I'm an American. Uh, if we're really honest, we'd say we're Texan, right? Because that's, that's what we all are. I mean, if I go, when I go to foreign countries and people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm from Texas. I don't say I'm from the United States. Um, and that tells them certain things about me, right? It tells them that I wear a cowboy hat and ride a horse to Whataburger, <laughs> which I've only done once. Uh, it should tell them that I, I know that uh, good barbecue doesn't need sauce, right? That's the most important thing. But it does, right? I'm communicating certain things about who I am, right? That, that's, that's a part of how I describe myself. I'm, I was born in Texas. I've lived here my whole life. It's part of who I am. What we see a lot of time nowadays, though, is that people, in addition to identifying themselves based on where they're from, where they were born, we now see a lot of people whose entire identity is wrapped up in their ethnicity or in their culture or in their gender or in their sexuality right it's becoming commonplace and unfortunately for most of us we have misidentified ourselves Paul gives in in verse 12 of this chapter a list of these virtues he Important for all Christians to know uh, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Um, every, right, every Christian should embody these, which is good because I'm like the most humble guy I know. Really proud of it. Every Christian's supposed to embody these, right? But here's the thing if you don't know who you really are, you cannot embrace these things. Every major issue that divides our culture today can be traced back to a case of mistaken identity. All the things I listed before, it's not that they're unimportant. It's that at best, they only describe a part of you. That's all they are. They may be important parts, they may be crucial, but, but they are still not the whole. And unfortunately, what we tend to do is we try and define ourselves entirely based on these things that are really only meant to be part of who we are. It's very much like a house without enough structural support. And the structure can't bear the weight, and it begins to collapse and fall in on itself if you try and build your entire identity around something that God never intended to define who you are, you begin to collapse in on yourself. And we see the results around us all day, every day, in every news story. All the division and the anger and the hatred we see around us. You can trace it all back to people trying to cram their identity, identity, their entire idea of who they are into something that simply can't hold all of that. You know, as Christians, we, we, we kind of have to remind ourselves sometimes of the basics of what it means to follow Christ. E- even uh, the best Christians like me. Because being reminded of the basics matters, right? We're human, we're flawed, we make mistakes, we, we stray off the path and we have to kind of bring ourselves back on target. And and what Paul is listing right here are are basics, right? Compassion, kindness, humility, patience. Things that are repeated over and over and over again throughout the Bible. We're supposed to embody them. You're supposed to be the marks of being a Christian. If someone sees you in public, they should be able to know that person's different from all the people around them, and, and these things are why. But as I said earlier, if you don't really know who you are, if you're trying to force your identity into something small and and incapable of holding all of who you are, you can't embody these. Because here's what happens. If you decide to identify yourself as something smaller than what you really are, if if your whole identity is wrapped up in a political party or, or a culture or an ethnicity or anything else that is smaller than what you're meant to be, your compassion will only extend to those who identify as you do kindness will only extend to those who identify as you do. And your patience will only extend to those who identify as you do. And you see it on the news all the time, right? And maybe more importantly, you feel it. We all do. These are things every last one of us has experienced over the last four years. And look what it leads to. I can tell you right now, your identity is not just who you are. It's who you worship. How many times in the last election cycle did you hear or say things like, we've got to elect so and so, because only he can fix our problems. That phrase, only he can fix our problems, that, that is really only true of Jesus. Isn't it? What we saw in the last election, in the one before it, in the one before that. those people who were worshiping their chosen political candidate. Right? They had made it the object of their worship. We see people now who make all kinds of things the object of their worship, and always, without fail, their entire identity is wrapped up in that. And it tears us apart. And we like to think that the church is immune from it, but the reality is it's not. So, we have to know who we really are, who we're meant to be. Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, uh, is dealing with the same problem that he deals with with uh, really pretty much every church that he has planted around the Roman Empire. You see... When Christianity started out, it wasn't his own separate religion, right? It it was a sect of Judaism. All the first Christians were Jews. And Paul is the first apostle who makes it his entire mission to reach out to people who were not born and raised as Jewish people. He's reaching out to people who don't look like them, who don't talk like them, who don't think like them, and who certainly were not raised to worship like them. And so you'll, you'll find in almost all of his letters there is a tension in very nearly every church he plants between the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians because what's happening all the time is that the Jewish Christians are trying to explain to the non-Jewish Christians why they have to follow all the laws of the Old Testament. And let me tell you, if you want to kill a church faster than anything, tell them they can't eat bacon. <laughs> right? It's not going to work. There are some other things in there that probably were also a problem. So Paul has to expend a ton of effort explaining to people on both sides why you don't need to worry about the, the food you eat or, or some of the more obscure laws of the Old Testament. Right? He, he narrows it down and says, look, this is what's really important, this is what's not, and you can get rid of it. And Paul is, in fact, a Pharisee. Right? He's one of the bad guys from the Gospel. So he knows the law. He's got this entire thing memorized. He could quote any line of it, any given moment, if you asked him. So he's an expert, he knows. And so, so much of his time is spent explaining to people why that's not necessary anymore. But the best job he does is right here. There is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, Greek is just a term for people who weren't Jews, right? It was a catch-all for anyone who was not a Jewish person. So right off the bat, he knocks out all of their their religious and ethnic divisions, right? He lists the barbarians and the Scythians, two enemies of the Roman Empire who were constantly at the borders waging war, raiding little villages, right? In other words, even the people who you're terrified of, who you think are constantly coming to kill you, that doesn't matter anymore. We can welcome them into the church. Slave and free, right? Your socioeconomic status, irrelevant. It's not important. Christ is all and in all. In other words, Paul takes all the things that they used to define themselves before they were Christians and says they no longer matter. The thing you were before, it's irrelevant. It no longer exists. That person is dead. You have been made new in Christ. That's what matters. You now Follow Christ, the God who made you, and the God who died for you. There is a term used over and over again in the Gospels and later on in the New Testament the kingdom of God. Folks, it's not a metaphorical word, right? it's, not, it's not like imagery, it's, it's literal the kingdom of God, the place where God reigns supreme. You see, you and I are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom. We are first and foremost children of the Almighty God who breathed into us the breath of life and made us in His image. And see, that, that is true of everyone, whether they know it or not. Now, do you see how this changes everything? If your identity is who you worship, then the only way to truly worship God is to identify first and foremost as a child of God, to understand that that is the most important thing in your life. But more importantly, if you can only extend compassion and kindness and humility and patience to people who identify the same way that you do, or at least to people who you recognize as being part of that same identity, then the only way that you can show compassion and love and kindness and patience and meekness to everyone you meet, is to recognize that not only are you a child of God, but so are they. And see, the brilliance of what Paul does is he deliberately includes people like the barbarians and the Scythians, the people who are constantly at war with the Roman Empire. In other words, the people who you're taught to hate... The people who you've been told your whole life you may have to someday go into battle against. The people who may very well have killed a friend or a family member in combat. Yeah, they're children of God too. Now that's hard. See, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, but most of us, we kind of actually draw the line at that point. And Paul says, you can't. Because just like you, they've been made in the image of God. And just like you, God loves them. And God would far prefer for you to reach out to them in compassion and kindness and humility and patience than he would for you to strike them down. And bear in mind, he's saying this to the Christians in the Roman Empire who are not exactly in a position of power, right? He's not talking to soldiers on the front line who have some kind of option in this. He's talking to people who, if they were ever to encounter those folks, they'd be the victims in a raid. They'd be defenseless and helpless. And what are they supposed to do? Acknowledging that you are first and foremost a citizen of God's kingdom. It changes everything. It's not that the other things just fade away and you forget about them. It's not that they're not important. It's not even that you can't be proud of them, right? I'm rather proud that I'm an American. I have a, my family has a long history of military service. I'm proud of it. We don't just erase these things what we do is we acknowledge that they are merely one part of the whole. They cannot ever define who we are. Just as none of the things that divide our culture right now can ever really define all of who we are because who we are is a child of God and that definition is so massive and so important that nothing that we come up with can ever rival it. So before I can spend weeks preaching about what it means to be compassionate and patient and, and teaching you to be as incredibly humble as I am. We have to first remember that we view all of these things through the lens of being a child of God. These are virtues that Christ himself exemplifies for us. These are virtues that, that God demonstrates for us all throughout the body of Scripture as he shows compassion and humility and remarkable patience. God is far more patient than I ever am. If you read the book of Exodus, you you realize that God is more patient than any parent could ever possibly be, right? How many times do the Israelites beg him to turn the car around and go back to Egypt, and he doesn't do it? God is so patient and so compassionate and so kind and so gentle, and he calls us to be the same way. And the only way we can do it is to remember that we are first and foremost God's children above all else. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Folks, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we acknowledge that we don't always do exactly what we're supposed to do. We often fall short. And it's in those moments that Your grace and Your mercy are revealed to us in their fullness. And so we thank You for that. We thank You, Lord, for the rain, even as it perhaps disrupted our schedules, caused us problems. Lord, we know it's all part of Your design. We lift up to You the names of all those in this congregation and beyond the walls of this church who are suffering, who are in need of your healing, whether it be physical or spiritual. We pray that you surround them with your presence and your peace. Lord, we lift up to you all of those prayer requests that have been left unspoken and unwritten. Father, we know that you hear them all, that you respond to them all, and that you are always with us. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.